Then I went to campus and like, you need to be like, struck harsher with people. Mm. And I'm just like, what do I do? So yeah. I'm very confused about this whole topic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There you go. So what to do? That's that was that helps. Yeah. Yeah, Amen. I'm glad you shared that. Anyone else? Yeah. I think that just with discipling people, I oftentimes just know what to say. I'm like, you guys should just do this. Mm-hmm. And then when they like go and like, oh, well, I get some other advice. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Like, if people don't listen to what I'm saying, it's like, okay, well, I don't give any scriptures, guys. Like, you, you just need to do this. And like, it's hard for me to be like, okay, like, there's, there's lots of different avenues, lots of different paths that people can take. And I can be kind of like, Yeah, there are some things that scriptures are really non-negotiable, but then there's other there's other things that you kind of go, hey, there's there's a couple ways you can go at that. And, you know, so okay, yeah. Makes sense. It's a, there's a lot to learn. Any, any, anyone else? Yeah. I think in disciple times, my way too aggressive is the way you should. I don't, I'm not good at learning how to draw people out and figure out what people lack what they need. Hmm. So I think I'm just, I need to learn a lot about just overall like how to approach each situation that can be Yeah. Yeah. Be easier to be helped. Is that what you're saying? No, that's, that's a good thing. Because if you can't be taught, it's probably hard. It's going to be hard for people to even want to, you to teach them, right? You know, if you can't be taught, that's that's huge. Anyone else? You know, that, that's good. I uh, appreciate you guys sharing that stuff. You know, even the word. Some of you guys may even like uh, looked at the word discipling or like what what is, what is that? You know, because is that a word that you see in the Bible? Discipling. No, it's kind of like, it's, it's not. You'll never see it in the Bible. The, the word discipling is not in there. Now, we see the word disciple a lot. So, discipling, what's the connotation between disciple, like, okay, we, hopefully we're learning what a disciple is. Discipling, what do you think that means? Yeah, helping someone be a disciple, right? Like walking with someone and being a disciple. Um, but I don't know about you guys. I don't really, I don't really like doing things that I don't directly see in the Bible. That makes sense. Like I, I don't like just because like a church does something one way or ch- like something else. Like just doesn't sit well with me. Because at the end of the day, if I don't have like my own convictions from Scripture, then I'm gonna find loopholes in my life. Because how many of us have just always in our life loved this being discipled? Just like at all times, like I just, oh, it's just like my favorite thing that I just cherish, you know? Um, 
Who remembers just a really challenging time where they were like, it was rough. Anyone ever just the, the rough discipling times? It's funny for me because the rough discipling times so often are the times that afterwards I look back on and I'm like, wow, I really, really needed that. You know, like I really, I, I, remember, um, I remember Kevin Miller when I was a sophomore, read the scripture, Ephesians 5, if you haven't read it, it's talking about not having a hint of uh, sexual morality, any kind of impurity or greed. He read, he read that passage to me. He's like, read this passage and tell me you're a Christian. I was like, I'm a Christian. He goes, read it again. And that was his response. And he just totally wrecked me. And I was living such a hypocritical life at that point. I can't tell you the amount of times in my life where I've kind of wanted to fight against it. And I think it's hard. It's easy to find shortcuts in it when I don't have a biblical conviction about it. Honestly, one of the biggest things that Courtney and I want to do today is for you guys to leave believing that whatever you want to call it, whether it's discipling, one another relationships, a prayer partner, whatever you want to call it, that you do it. Does that make sense? Like that you believe in it. If if there's anything else that I want you guys to get out of it is that this is at the core of my Christianity. And what I do is I'm involved with people in my life where I help them and they help me spiritually. Because to be honest, you know, I mean, wow, what an incredible environment we're even in at this retreat, right? So, so awesome. I mean, how, how can you not at some point in here just go like, I just want to grow? You know, like, I just, I just want to be better. Like, I, this is the times that are easy, right? Or maybe you went to a camp growing up and you were like, this, I just want to grow spiritually. Like, this is... This is it, but to be honest, like life is not always like this. And you get out of college, and having people in your life, if you don't have a conviction, becomes a lot easier to avoid. It becomes a lot easier to make excuses on not doing this. You guys, so many of you guys, you're on co- like campus with other disciples, like other people that want this. What happens when you have a job and you're the only one? Or you work long hours, or then you have kids someday, and then your life is even more sucked away from you. Now you have a wife that you need to take care of. Kids, How if you don't have a conviction that I need people in my life now, if you don't form that it's part of my Christianity, it's not just something that's in the culture, it's not just something that I do, it's not just this word, whatever, but this is, I believe, biblically, what needs to happen, then you will struggle. And it's so sad. I mean, I got to tell you guys, like, you know, I'm 27 now, been out of the campus ministry for six years, but, you know, you guys kept me for a while. I'm still here. But uh, friends that I hold dear that were so faithful, literally just heroes to me, aren't even living out their Christianity anymore. Just done. Or they're already torpedoing their marriages. Like just, and you know what? The common thing in every single person is, they don't have people in their life. They don't have people walking with them. Just it's the, they, Literally, it's the only common thing. Is they, at some point, lost the conviction of needing help in people in their life. Let's go to 1 Peter, because that's our theme text. Actually, you know, 1 Peter is pretty cool when we talk about one another relationships. Because it actually has seven, I think, one another passages in it. And actually, just what I want to talk about in this brief time is to, to, I want you guys to go home and study out one another relationships. 
It's pretty crazy, but a couple of uh, years ago, we actually did uh, a, a whole semester called Area 61. You guys know what Area 51 is? Yeah. It was, we, didn't do, we didn't really talk about sci-fi stuff very much, but we, we called it Area 61, whereas Area 51 is completely about seclusion. It's all these secrets, so many different things. There's actually 61, like at least 61 passages in the New Testament alone that talk about one another relationships. And the main point that we said was like, if you don't have deep spiritual one another relationships in your life, then you are deliberately disobeying 61 passages in the New Testament. And that's kind of what we talked about. Like you can live a life of seclusion and live in Area 51 where you got all these walls, secrets, no fly zones. Or you can live in Area 61, which is about community and about being with one another and loving one another. And it, we talked about, literally just looked at Every one another passage. It was such an incredible time. It really developed a conviction in me. And First Peter has a lot of them. I want to talk about one of the first ingredients that you need if you're going to have successful, whether you want to call it discipling relationships, one another relationships. That's the thing I like to call it. It's just good one another relationships. That's one of the things that I like to say. But in verse, um, in verse, in verse five, let's read that. It says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. This is a cool uh, scripture. It's one of those one another's. I'm not going to talk about submitting to your elders, although part of even learning to be a disciple is learning to be taught by people who are older than you. It's just part of it. Like if you don't have older people in your life that can mentor you, you're not going to do well in the long haul. You know, how many of you guys have been married? Okay, we got one, right? We got one, you know, we got one. Okay. So how many of you guys know how to get married? How many of you guys done it? You got one. How many, so so you, you need older people to help you in that stage. Now, how many of you guys have kids? So right now, I don't have kids yet. No, no kids, right? Okay. You're happy about that. Yeah, you're happy about that. Okay. No kids. So do I know, do I know how to be a parent? No, I, I, I need help in my life. Now, when I have a one-year-old, am I going to know how to help a two-year-old? No, like I'm going to need help in my life in every stage of your life. Right now, you, you don't know how to do, like, there's so many things in your stage that you need people that are older than you to help you in that stage. And really, that should be our mindset, is to submit ourselves to people that are older that can help us grow. But then beyond that, the thing that I love, and this is where I think college ministry comes in, it says, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards who? It says, one another. You know, it's, it's just a fact that no matter if you're like a senior or a freshman, we're all kind of figuring life out. None of us have life figured out to be like Jesus completely. Agreed? And so, so much of it is we need to submit to one another and humble ourselves with one another. And if you don't have humility, then you're never, you're never going to really get what you want. Like what God wants you to get from one another relationships. And I think discipling is an incredible opportunity to do that because it's, it teaches you how to be humble. To have someone in your life that's focused on you helping each other 
grow spiritually. And I think, it, you know, even in this passage, why is discipling? Why is one another relationship? Why is it essential? What happens if you're proud, according to this passage? God opposes you. But if you live a life of humility, what does God do? He, he gives grace. He, he lifts you up. James 4.10 says, uh, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I think part of the reason why God like, commands one another relationships so much is because if we've got to be humble with each other with each other and it teaches us to be humble with each other if we can be humble with each other then can we be humble with God right like if we can if we can be humble and look dude that dude's messed up but what he's saying is true I need to listen to it you know like I need help if those things if you can actually humble yourself in front of other people then you're going to learn more and more how to humble yourself before God it's so important to know that and what we're going to talk about next, you know, that's one of the things I think is so important about, like, about discipling. Courtney's going to come up and share just, like, what discipling should look like, at least one aspect of it. Do you want to come up? Go ahead, honey. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, I want to talk about the aspect of even each one of us discipling other people. Because I think maybe that's probably a big part of a lot of us why we came here is, okay, even how do I disciple other people? I think we're all learning that, so it's not crazy, but I wanted to read one scripture that a lot of us know, and even as we became Christians read, which is 2 Timothy 3.16. Maybe some of us can even quote it. Does anyone think they can quote it, actually? It's the God-breathed one. Okay, so it says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for, or profitable for some versions, for teaching, rebuking, correction, and training in righteousness. So I like this scripture. We use it as we're helping people become disciples of why okay, you need to be taught and you need to be trained. And, but I think this is so applicable to discipling because when we're discipling people, we're really teaching people the scriptures. That's really the whole basis of our time together is to just teach people how to know God better and to really, you know, use the Bible for themselves. And so I love this because it's, it talks about rebuking, correction, training, and these are, I think, a lot of different aspects of what it looks like to disciple. It doesn't bring in a lot of the, maybe the loving and bearing with weaknesses and carrying each other burdens. There's some other scriptures about that. Um, but the other scripture I want to link to this other, the Second Timothy one is Proverbs 30. And Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And I think the common thing that I'm kind of getting at with these two scriptures is how important the Bible really is during our times when we disciple people. And how important it is to have our Bibles open when we're discipling people. Um, at least for, I don't know for you guys, but at least for me in college, I kind of felt ill-equipped a lot of the time. Like, how do I really help people with all their different issues? Or how do I come to every, like, discipling time with someone, like, interaction, and feel prepared and feel like I know what I'm teaching this person? Or it just was a little even overwhelming at times to know, like, how to handle each and every time. Has anyone ever felt that? Yes. Yeah. And so I think for me, it, I had to really simplify down and boil it down to this simple principle, which for me was making sure the Bible was open in every discipling time. That at the end of the day, if we were just having fun, which I appreciate you bringing up, or if we were being more serious, either way, the Bible was always open and the scripture is 
always, there's always scripture that's being taught and, you know, being talked about. And so sometimes we can get too worried about, like, am I hitting every point? Am I helping every point of their character? Am I being fun enough? And it's like, as long as the Bible is open, I think sometimes we just have to simplify it down. Like, God really does speak the truth, right? That's what it talks about, is God, every word God proves true. So where does God's words come from? We know, like, it comes from the Bible. Like, we just need to let God speak in our times. Um, And I think this, some of us, we can feel, like, maybe less confident because we don't always know what to say or how to say it. But I think this is where our confidence, we should feel so confident as well. If we're opening up the Bible with people, it doesn't matter how we say it or if we phrased it the right way because God is speaking. And I'm not the main primary speaker, but God is speaking. And I'm sure God is saying it the right way. And I'm sure God is phrasing it in the best way, right? Um, And I think part of that too is like, Sometimes when we're having the Bible open, let's say we read a scripture, okay, God's the center, God's talking. Sometimes I think we try to act like we have it all together. Like, okay, let me just pretend that I, you know, I had this plan for weeks, or I had this thought in mind, or let me just pretend that, like, I'm, do- like, let me talk this person about purity, right? Let me just pretend that I'm, like, doing great in my purity, or let me just tell- talk to them about the time I did well in my purity, versus, like, being weak with those who are weak, you know, and so sometimes I think we come in more with this, like, maybe we think of, like, okay, I have to be a leader, so I have to, like, have it all together and portray that I'm doing awesome in this area. But instead, I think what actually is more inspiring to people is weakness, right? I mean, you don't think, you don't look at a person and say, wow, they have it all together, they're perfect. Wow, that's just, like, so inspiring. It's, like, intimidating, right, actually. Like, it actually can be, like, wow, I'm not like that, and I wish I was like that, and it's a more intimidating factor and kind of keeps like a arm's distance with a person versus when you're opening up the Bible and you're saying like, this is where I'm struggling too. And this is where I'm at and making it very personal and relatable, um, and sharing in weaknesses. And so you can even still teach someone and challenge someone, but still share together in the battle and fight together. And so I think sometimes it can just be so easy to want to be strong and want to have it together, but realizing like, no, actually what is more inspiring to people is weakness you know, and, um, and how your weaknesses became strengths. That's more inspiring than looking like you have it all together. Um, that's inspiring for people. Um, and then I think with that, um, one thought that I had is part of the um, even process of teaching people is, yeah, the Bible's open. Yeah, we're sharing our weaknesses. But we all have, like, stories to tell. Like, we all have different things that we've learned, right? Like, we've all been through things. And so I think that's even where that vulnerability comes in, like I was talking about being weak with people, of am I sharing the lessons I've learned with people? Am I sharing the things that have happened in my life? Maybe even how I became a Christian, the things I I suffered through, or maybe the things going on. Like, fighting to find the lessons you've learned in life and sharing those with people. Like, that's really moving, is like seeing those weaknesses and seeing, so it's reiterating that, thinking about the lessons you've learned, and are you teaching that to people, like even in your times with people? Um, the last thing I'll share is just um, along with that is Hebrews 5, and um, this is 11 through 14, and I'll just read it. It says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I read this because so much of when we're discipling people, we're really feeding people the truth. That's what we're doing. 
So if you don't open up your Bible in a time with someone, what are you really feeding them? What do you guys think? Like our opinions, or maybe our feelings, our thoughts. But in the end, is that really gonna, is that real food for that person? No, it's not. So are they really going to mature off being an infant into a toddler grow? It's like, no, they're not, right? Because it's not something that's going to last. And so, and even like, how do we distinguish good from evil? The only way we do that is from the truth, right? Is from God. And so if we're not feeding people the truth, how will they ever mature to distinguish good from evil on their own? So it's just so important that God is so the center of when we're discipling people. And it's not just this you know, back and forth an opinion conversation or hangout or, hey, from my, just my experiences, but from the word. Um, and I think about the last part where it says, by constant use, they have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil, right? So like, which I just mentioned, but this idea of how you can be trained or how people train themselves is each time that you disciple them. So each time that you do give them a piece of food, like they're now able to take that on to become godly and grow in righteousness. But unless we're feeding them, how will they grow to be trained? And how will the next generation, the generations continue to grow if we're not feeding people real food? So I think with that, I think, um, I think each of us can probably relate to this in the sense of the times that we've grown the most is when we feel like people have had the Bible open in front of us and really taught us scriptures that we never had seen before in that light. Or we had never really, wow, I never saw that applied to my situation like that. Or wow, I've never, you know what I mean? It's, it's not when people just share a story that like impacts your heart forever, if we're honest, you know. Although it does help and those stories will make a difference. Um, but the, I guess with that, I just wanted to share even like, teaching the heart versus teaching like doctrine doctrine because I think when we're training people we're opening up the bible I don't know if you guys think about this it's so easy to just like tell people what they need to be doing like okay you're not coming to church so we never talk about you coming to church that's a doctrine talk right like we're supposed to go to church it's in the bible so like let me talk to you about going to church but then the problem is we're not teaching the heart of why do we go to church and so I even want to give a little example with that like with the meetings of the body, like going to church. Let's use that as an example for a second. I think, let's say you're helping, you're in a one another relationship like Tom's talking about and someone's just like not coming to church or really having a hard time with it. Instead of just sitting down with that person saying, okay, you really need to be at church. It's so important. That's a good talk, right? That's kind of a nice, like even maybe you, maybe you read a scripture about church and then you follow up with the you need to be going to church. But it's such a doctrine talk of like, here's the facts of what's important, but it, are we connecting that person's hearts or feelings or why or the deeper reasons? Not really. So it's like, even how do we do that? I think one, one thing that Tom brought up and I guess is so good is even asking questions, of course, to figure out, okay, well, why are they not coming to church? You got to get down to that first, even know what the heart to help them with that. Even asking, so why are you coming? Like, let's talk about that. You said you're struggling. Okay, let's talk about what those things are, right? Maybe that's obvious, but we need to ask more questions. And I think with that, I think about scriptures that can go so much deeper, like, Instead of just telling someone they need to come to church, even thinking about like Hebrews 3, 3.13, encourage each other daily, right? Like, okay, wow, so how do you feel like it's going encouraging other people? Do you feel like you're able to really encourage people when you're not coming to church? Or, wow, do you feel like it's really encouraging people that, you know what I mean? It's helping you like frame questions and thoughts without just telling someone they need to come to church. Or I think about that scripture in Colossians 1.17 that says like, God is the head of the body, so, wow, when we're not coming to church, we're actually not connected to the head. What does that mean? Oh, so when we're not coming to church, we're not connected to God. That's a big deal. 
You know, like, wow, if you're not coming to church, like, then you, that's great. You're having your own, like, times with God. But are you really connected with God according to this scripture? No. Like, how do you feel about that? How do you feel like you're missing out being connected with God? Is that important to you? You know, like, that. now we're getting to some more heart things. We're, we're asking more questions. We're thinking, so this does call you higher in your, even your scripture knowledge. I think some of you had mentioned that, or maybe even some of you are already thinking like that. Like, whoa, I don't know if I would jump to all those different scriptures. I think it just takes time of really teaching ourselves and really learning the Bible ourselves. I think that's so important. But I just want to talk about some of those different aspects. I know that was maybe felt a little scattered, but I think it can be so easy just to maybe open up the Bible and not know where to go, but to know that God is really speaking and he can really train people. And to remember, we got to get to people's hearts and not just doctrine. So hopefully that's some thoughts for you. Yeah, let's, let's even talk about that for another second. Uh, you know, why, why, do we, why do we go to church? You know, some of you guys grew up and sometimes, sometimes you just do things because you've always done them. And if you don't know the why yourself, that's the first thing you got to do. You, you need to have scriptures to back up everything in your life and why you do what you do. I mean, that's because if you don't know your why, then how in the world could you help other people find their why? It just wouldn't work. You know, why, why do we share our faith? I just I know that that's what we're supposed to do, but do you know scriptures on that? You know why do we confess our sin? Why do why do we challenge each other? Or why do we avoid this or or go after that? Why do we do those things? You, you got to know those. You know I love that Hebrews three scripture. It's so true for me. I know in my life that scripture. It's another one another scripture. It says encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. When I'm not around people, you know what happens to me. I get jacked up, okay? I'm, I'm a minister. I've been a minister for the last, you know, four plus years. I've been in college ministry for, I think, 11 years now. If I'm not around people for three weeks, like, if I don't get open about my sin for three weeks, I get weird. Like, just weird. Am I the only one? Like, like I just get weird. I turn evil quickly. If I didn't talk about my marriage every week with the Browns who disciple us, like, my marriage would get weird. Like, it's just, why? Because that's what Satan does. Like, when we don't encouragement, let alone weekly, but actually, if we don't get that daily encouragement, our hearts get hard. Yeah. They just, it's a defense mechanism. Church is like one of our defenses. Not just church the building, but church the people, right? Not just the thing that we do on Sunday, but just our life living with people, communion with people, it keeps our heart from getting hard. If you don't believe that, first of all, when you leave, you're never going to pursue discipling. Because sometimes in the campus ministry, you know, you're assigned to someone. Hey, bro, why don't you just get with that person and have a great discipling relationship? There's some reasons why we do that, just so you know. Like, I have no problem with that. I know who everyone is. I know everyone in my ministry who they're getting, who they have discipling relationships with. You know why? Because you guys are babies. You guys are baby Christians. And you know, you don't just like let baby, like babies just run around. Okay? What's going to happen? <laughs> Crazy things are going to happen. So I, I believe in it strongly that I want to know where the relationships are. Now I'm fine with some organic relationships too where this person and I, we're best friends. We disciple each other. I had plenty of people in my life that discipled me. I mean, it wasn't just one person. If you're friends with anyone, you're that person's disciple. Like that's just how it should work. Like it's not just... 
that person, like that gets weird when only one person is allowed to teach you and one person is allowed to challenge you. There's only one person you're supposed to confess to. That just gets weird. But there are elements where when you don't have someone you're committed to on a weekly basis, you know what I do? I confess with that person this week, that person the next week, that person the next week, that person. And you know what happens after that? Everyone knows a quarter of my life. And they help me on a quarter of my life. And you know what? Whether I did it intentionally or not, and I was a sneaky person, so I did it intentionally. Everyone kind of thought I was doing okay because they didn't know my whole life. And, that was, and so we, I really do believe you need to find someone that you're humble with at least on a weekly basis. That you're getting open with just one person consistently where you're getting encouragement from. Consistently. Where you, like, because if you don't, what's going to happen is, is you're not going to get the help you need and the other person's not. Does that make sense? Like, that's not how Jesus did disciple. How often was Jesus with those same 12 people? Did he just go, okay, I'm going to disciple this person one week and this person this week and this person? Is that what he did? No, he focused on people and they, they like buried themselves into each other's lives. And that's how those people really grew. So that's why I really believe in it in the campus ministry because you guys are young. I'm still young spiritually. Like, I... I want to help you guys. So sometimes what I do is I make suggestions. I suggest, hey, bro, I think this would be a great guy with you. You know, I don't command like, hey, I'm judge, jury, you know, whatever, like, you know, executioner. You two are uh, not you two, probably you two, you know, like are uh, a guy, girl, probably not the best discipling relationship, you know. But you brothers, hey, I think I think it would be I think you guys can really help each other. I have no problem doing that. But sometimes when you get older. You, you might find yourself in a ministry where maybe it's on, you're on your own. Where you've got to have your own conviction about discipling. And we'll figure out then if you, really, if you actually really want to grow. When you don't have training wheels and different things like that. And that's really what college is for is to develop convictions on I need this. I don't just do this because it's commanded. Like because this is the culture or just because this is what was suggested. But actually I would do this if no one told me to. Because I know I messed up and my heart is going to get hard. Does that make sense, guys? Like it's so, so important. It scares me sometimes when you guys leave and then you guys kind of become islands again. I'm not talking about you guys specifically because you're still in. You know what I'm talking about, though? Have you seen your friends that kind of then just disappeared off the radar? It's scary. I already know the end of their life. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care how spiritual you are. If you don't have people in your life, you will not do well. Your heart will get hardened. Let's go to Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 16. Does that make sense, guys? Yes. Courtney talked about teaching and how the scriptures, they're meant to be taught. You're supposed to, if you don't use the scripture to teach people, to correct people, to rebuke people, then you're doing something wrong. And you know, one of the things, another one another scripture is right here. In verse 15, it says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body, again, that one body part, okay, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach one another and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Who's this written to? Just written to Christians in what place? Colossae, right? They were Colossians. That, 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 that was the people in Colossae. 
And what is he commanding this church to do? He's saying, let the word of God dwell in you richly as you teach one another and admonish one another. He commands the church to do that with each other. I think sometimes we think that it's like the leader's job to teach and admonish people. Or like it's the leader's job to do those things. What Paul is just directing is like, no, no, this is what like Christians do. We teach each other. You have something to learn from every single person in your ministry. You, like, you have something to give to every single person in your ministry. And we also, the art of admonishing is something that we need to learn. You guys know what admonish means? It's not like, is that just a word like your teacher says in class or like you've heard just in the grocery store? Yeah, I was admonished today. Like, anyone? No, that's not, that's like one of those kinds. Of, what, is, what does that mean? It's to correct. It's to warn. It's, it's, it's this, um, it's, it's this trying to, it's, it's a, it's a deliberate conversation trying to help someone in their walk with God. You know, there's some, you don't admonish people until you've taught them. If you don't, if people don't know what they're doing is wrong, they need to be taught first that it's wrong. Does that make sense? If they, and sometimes we can do that. We can get frustrated. You got to teach things. But then when things are taught, admonishing is, is course correcting. And, and it's incredibly essential. I don't know where I would be if I didn't get admonishing in my life. And I want to read this scripture if we go to um, Hebrews 10. It was actually a scripture that Courtney men, uh, mentioned. Hebrews 10, this is another one another scripture. Hebrews 10, verse 24. And it says, let us consider. You guys there? It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Two one another scriptures in here. You know, part of discipling is encouraging, right? And what does that mean? What does it mean to encourage? To put courage in. Yeah, it's good. It's still courage. What do we sometimes think encourage means? So it means be nice. Dude, you got some great pants. Oh, I love those pants. Dude, that cast, looking good, bro. That's, that's encouraging, okay? You know, that's, that's not encouragement, just so you know, okay? I think sometimes we overuse. Encouragement, like, just like you said, is to put courage. It actually just means to put, to call one next to. It's like, it's like you're in the battle, someone falls down, you're like, dude, come on, get up. We gotta, let's, let's do this. It's, hey, you're lying behind, let's go. It's not like, What's wrong with you? Let's go. It's like, hey, we can do this. Get back up. Let's start running. You know, like now sometimes telling someone they have a nice looking cast might give them courage. I'm, I'm not sure, but that I'm probably not the way. Now, loving each other is a, another important thing that we do, right? We love each other. And that, that is important, you know. And, and First Peter actually has four or five one another love scriptures in there. It isn't so incredible. It is so necessary. But it's this calling out next to. But it actually uses this word spur one another. You guys see that? What's a spur? Any of you guys who play basketball should know what a spur is. It's the name of the NBA team, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's one of these things. Yeah, You know, like it's, it's giddy up. And actually this word, this Greek word is only used twice. In, in the New Testament, I believe. And I, you know, I'm not even going to try and attempt to say it, okay? Like, because, you know, whatever. But it, it literally, spur, it means to provoke. 
It means to like, it means to provoke someone. And this scripture says that we need to provoke one another. The way you provoke a horse, and, and that's by kicking them to get them going. Sometimes we need provoked. And actually the only other time that this is used is when Barnabas and Paul get in a fight. I believe in Acts 19. And it literally says they, they opposed each other. And really this word spur means that you're willing to get in a fight with someone over their walk with God. Like that you care about their soul so much that you will get in a fight with them if it means helping them get closer to God. That's what spurring, like at the core of what spurring one another means is. You know, if you were in a burning building with someone, would you just lightly suggest that we should get out of this building? Because you don't want to be, I don't want to be harsh. I don't want to be this or this. Like, would you, is that the way you would help someone? If you saw someone in a burning building and you were outside, would you just be like, hey, dude, this is just my opinion. Like, I just think you should think about this. Like, you know, here's a scripture you might want to consider reading, you know, like, or, or whatever. Like, is that how you would do it? No, if they were not willing to go get out, what would you start doing? Like, dude, what are you doing? Get out here, right? I mean, you would be, you'd be, you'd kick them out if you needed to, right? You'd push them out. Because you love that person. You don't even have to love someone that much to do that for them. Right? To take someone out. And yet sometimes I think we, we think spurring is like a mean thing. If someone is going the wrong direction in their walk with God, it's one of the most loving things you can do. Is spur someone. Do you know how to correct people? How to admonish people? The only way you learn is by, is by doing it. And by being humble, like we talked about at the beginning, when you mess up, okay? I can't tell you how many stupid things I've said. Like, me and Ben have said some stupid things to each other, right, Ben, bro? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've already said some stupid things, you know? And, and I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to apologize. You don't need to be a perfect discipler to be a good one. You need to be a humble one who speaks the truth to people. No matter what is at stake, sometimes you risk friendship because you care about someone. I had to, I had to spur someone big time this week. Broke my heart and I was getting teary-eyed as I told him, bro, this was one of the, my least favorite conversations I've ever had in my life. But I said it because I want, you need to grow here. You need to repent or else things are going to not work out for you. Yeah. It was really challenging. It was not fun, but we got to be able to do that. And that's not even something that you just need to do with the disciple. That's just when you, when you love someone, you spur them. You just spur them on. Because you, you want them to get out. You, you, you're willing to do whatever it takes. You know, I remember this one time where um, this guy was studying the Bible. And uh, he had studied the Bible. The only reason why was because he, uh, his girlfriend had started studying the Bible. You know how those, I don't trust those people as far as I can throw them. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, but he was getting really genuine and... And uh, we were studying, and then all of a sudden, she, she uh, ended up becoming a Christian, getting baptized. And like a couple weeks later or a month later, he just disappeared. Like, stopped. Just like, I felt like his stalker, like, or his ex-girlfriend texting him a bunch of times. Why aren't you texting me back? Like, all this stuff. Like, I thought we were, we were having Bible studies, and just all of a sudden, just disappeared. Six months later, he comes back, like, out of nowhere. It's like, dude, I want to get Bible studies. So I kind of have the bright idea in our first Bible study. I'm going to read a passage. I read this passage with him. 
I was like, do you realize from this passage that your mom's going to hell, your dad's going to hell, your brother's going to, sister, your brother's going to hell, sister's going to hell, you're going to hell, and all this stuff. And then I talked about relationships, and I was like, you think you have friendships? Like, your friendships are garbage compared to my friends. You don't even know what friendships really are. And I said all these things. And you know how he responded? Wow, you're right. It's crazy. Should I have said it that way? What do you guys think? Is that the, was that the right way to say things? Probably could have said it, especially the first time. But you know, honestly, my mindset was like, if this dude actually cares, I'm going to scare this dude away. If he doesn't actually want this, because I don't know if he's just trying to, and I care about my sister here, and if he's trying to just weasel his way in. It wasn't the right way that I did it. You know what's crazy? A year later, after he got baptized, on the anniversary of his baptism, he says, he, you know, a year ago, someone told me that his friendships were like that my friendships were garbage compared to his friendships. <laughs> and a year ago, and now a year later, I realized he was right. Wow. He's a, like, he's an incredible guy. He's still a disciple in the Boston. It's funny, like, you can say the wrong thing, like, but like, people can still change. Yeah, right. And you can be humble later. You know, I don't suggest going that route, but what I'm trying to say is the reason why is I was willing to get in a fight for his walk. And sometimes you got to be willing to get in a fight. To really get in a fight, like out of love. And I think one of the things that we might talk about later is you got to learn to, when people aren't being humble, to stay calm and continue to, like, but not back down from the truth. Does that make sense? Like, if someone is opposes or whatever that, Courtney may mention a couple things later on, but, but it's this need to spur each other on that is so, it's necessary. If you're in a ministry that does not actively spur each other on, then I already know where your ministry is. I already know. Like, because I know where I am at when I don't have people in my life helping me. Now, we don't need a spur every five seconds, right? If you're doing fine, you don't need someone to spur you, right? You need encouragement, different things like that. But there are times in all of our lives that we need to embrace correction. But we also need to be people comfortable to give it. Not being harsh. You don't, there's a difference between correcting someone and being mean. That was me being mean. You know, I was being a jerk, okay? Not being harsh, but saying what's right, warning people from the fires that they're sometimes in. Actually, I believe Jude 1, verse 17, it says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus foretold. They said in the last days, last times there will be scoffers, who follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love. As you wait for the Lord, wait, if, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring to you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. We gotta be serious about sin. We gotta hate this even, even clothes corrupted by flesh. We gotta be serious about immorality and sexual sin and pride and arrogance and all types of things. We gotta be serious about those things. We still gotta love the person. We gotta correct those things. Because by doing that, we're literally snatching people from the fires. Yeah. That's, what the, that's why we do discipling. That's why we, we do one another relationships. 
because it's snatching people from the fires. Courtney's going to share a couple practicals. Um, I'm, yeah, I think if you have one of these admonishing conversations, I think these are some practicals. Maybe that would be good to be thinking about um, as we all make mistakes and do our best. Yeah, the first one I was going to say is just following up face-to-face with people. It's so easy to like text people later and be like, so how are you feeling? Which is fine, but it's not great because usually after a hard conversation, it's so much more encouraging or you know uplifting or you know fill in the blank when someone's face to face with you asking, hey, how are you feeling? Like a day later, you know, how are you? How are you feeling about some of the things I said? You know, even Tom with that hard conversation, I'm sure he had to follow up. Be like, hey, how are you doing with what I said? Um, and that's so important because people can feel so many different things after a conversation like that. Some people do turn around and they're feeling fine and doing well. And then other times people are really still struggling and really having a very hard time and really weak and they need some more conversations. Does that make sense? So just not like resolving to, okay, let me just send this text, make sure they're fine. Or maybe just like, I don't know, in the fellowship, maybe having a quick conversation. Hey, how are you doing? But maybe just taking the time to really following up. How are you doing? That's just so important. I know when I when people have had hard conversations with me, it's so meaningful when they follow up to even just ask, like, hey, are we still good? How are you feeling? How's our friendship? That's really meaningful because now it's not between me and this person. It's between me and God because this person is showing me love and is showing me, you know, acceptance. And they're just trying to show me the truth. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And so sometimes when it's just a hard conversation and then there's not any follow-up, it's just kind of like, wow, they don't really care about me. It's just a, just trying to say the right things, maybe teach me the thing, but they're not really loving me after and really following up. Um, And then I was just, the other thing I had in mind was just praying together about it. Like specifically whatever it is that you're admonishing the person on, taking some time to really pray specifically about it. It's amazing when you like, you can take 10 minutes to pray about something so specifically like purity or so specifically like deceit or fill in the blank. How like focused your prayers can be, how much you are so much more in tune with, wow, this is what God's calling me to do. This is what God is like teaching me here. It's such a spiritual time together that you can even really bond as friends that it's bringing it back to like God and not against each other. But wow, let's just really go to God about this, especially if it's a little heated. I think just even, which hopefully not, but you know, it just been able to get some time to pray about it. It could be an obvious one, but so important. Just even end times in prayer. And then um, uh, this, is, <laughs> this is one that he mentioned that I was going to follow up on is we need to be firm on truth and stick it out even when the person doesn't agree, but without ourselves losing our temper or letting our pride flare up. So even when he was saying like fighting for people, it's so easy to like when we're fighting for people, then for it to become like we're now fighting because we're fighting against each other because now I'm getting prideful, I'm getting upset. And I'm allowing my voice to get loud and I'm getting, you know, cause I'm getting kind of hurt or I'm getting upset. And now we've lost the whole point of what was, you know, what was really trying to be taught. Right. And so just making sure that when we are fighting for people and we're not giving up, like, no, you, you do need to be pure. No, you do need to be, you know, honest that we don't compromise on truth, but that we don't use ourselves. That we don't get unspiritual ourselves is so important. So when you see the conversation becoming that way, to either stop and pray or to say, hey, let's take a, let's pause, take a pause on this one. Let's take a minute. Let's reconvene in a second or tomorrow. Because you don't want the conversation to become you against each other. Because that's not what God wants, right? He wants you guys to be close. He wants unity. He wants love. He wants one another relationship. But sin is in there, you know, and it's, you got to work that out. And so just making sure if that's where it's going, that it, you kind of can quickly end that part, you know? 
And then getting advice before you ever admonish someone is so, so important. Um, and that's how you'll make less mistakes, although we'll all make a ton of mistakes, but it's so important that we get advice so we can get as much input. What scripture should we be using? Or what would best help this person? Or what, what do you think they need? Like, that's really good advice. I know um, with Kelly, who disciples me, it's um, really, I really love having her because she shows me, like, insights I would never think of on my own. And then even with that, I feel like it's a village mentality. It's never like, okay, I'm this person's only lifeline. I'm the only person helping this person with evangelism or purity or fill in the blank. No, I have a village of people who are helping me help this person be successful. And so I love that I can get advice from her and get input from her um, and feel like, wow, this is a team. Like we all are working together as a body to help each other. Um, And, you know, that doesn't, we can't get into confidentiality and all that stuff today, but I think there's so many different people you can pull into that person's life to help that person get successful in whatever area maybe you admonish them in or you're helping teach them in. And so not becoming someone's only lifeline. Does that make sense? Because sometimes it's like, well, I'm the only one who knows about this super secret sin, or I'm the only one who knows, or I'm the only one who's helping them. And then it's like, wow, if this person walked away from God, like, it's almost like, wow, you'd be kind of held responsible. I mean, clearly not. Like, they're responsible to God, but you're the only person who knew and you didn't get any advice or talk to anybody. I mean, wow. So that happened because you weren't creating a village for that person. So not being someone's only lifeline. And then the last one is tone makes all the difference. Maybe this goes with the fighting one a little bit. Sometimes we go into these conversations and we're trying to admonish the person, but then our tone is so aggressive. It's like we might not even, we might even, some of us might be feeling fine. Other times we're actually not feeling fine and that's why the tone is that way. But just how tone makes all the difference when we're coming in and we're talking at a normal tone. Like you can be saying some really firm things and talking in a totally normal tone. Maybe this is a little sarcastic, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> pick a tone that works, right? That's normal and natural, but when our tone is already right here, we've already lost the battle. So just making sure our tone is right there where we need to be. All right, I'm just going to close this out real, real quick. Let's go to, uh, to John chapter 15. And, uh, yeah, I think that the tone is, you know, is, it's, it's important. Um, I think the getting advice, there was something that you said that I really wanted to make sure... Um, Oh, I, th- I think something that's just important is we, we do need to be people that give each other the benefit of the doubt. Um, and so that means like before you teach or correct, it's just often better to just ask a bunch of questions. Yeah. Just ask people, how are you doing, bro? Oh, they get open about that. How do you feel about that? Or, or, or why do you think that happened? Help people understand themselves. You know, there's a scripture, I think, in Proverbs 20, verse 5. That says the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. And really, sometimes we prescribe before we even know what's wrong. That makes sense? Like imagine you go to a doctor and uh, you say just one thing, I have a stomach ache or something like that. Oh, take this medicine, get out. Okay, that might work sometimes. What's the problem with that? Like they could have an ulcer or like they could have a tumor or they, they their appendix might have just like split open right or like any of those things different happen that's why you do a couple tests you you kind of so what's what it's been like the last couple days where does it hurt does it hurt here does it hurt does that make sense guys and so so often sometimes we don't know how to help people because we haven't asked enough questions about their life you know and that's just where vulnerability and sharing where you share your life they share their life and you figure out like how we're doing 
Does that make sense? And uh, I think that's super, super important because sometimes you may feel like I know that this person needs help in this. Like you see something that you ever just get like a vibe, like feel a weird vibe. You could just jump to conclusions, right? And just kind of go, I know you're doing this, bro. Let's talk about it. You could just kind of ask like five or six questions, 10 questions and see if they get there. And then you understand the situation a little bit better. You know, someone may be really struggling, but then you didn't realize that like, you know, like their dad is really sick. And you're like, this person may need what I'm about to say. You know what? They might just also need some love right now because they're feeling vulnerable. Does that make sense? Like, I, I can wait a little bit longer. You know, that might not be the most important thing. They might have acted really sharp. Like, they were, maybe they were really short-tempered, but it's because they're failing all their classes and they feel really overwhelmed. You could just go, dude, why were you so sharp? Like, look at this scripture. It says we need to love one another. That scripture still might be important, but so often people need to be understood first. They need to know that you care before you help them. Does that make sense? I want to look at this last scripture in John chapter 15. Like I said, guys, the biggest thing that I want you guys to leave with is to develop, to know that you need to develop a conviction on one another relationships. Because I'm not really necessarily worried about you guys like this year, but I do think about where will we be 10 years from now? If you guys don't have strong convictions on this, then I, I, can, I can already tell you where my life will be if I didn't. It doesn't matter where I think I am or how strong I am. God created us to need one another. He created us to be a part of a body. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about how each person can't say, I don't need you or you don't need me, right? But that we need one another. We need people in our life. It's pretty cool. You know, Jesus was the incredible discipler, right? He was the ultimate discipler. If you want to learn how to disciple, Jesus is a good one. He's a scary discipler sometimes too. He literally called one of his guys Satan. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, get behind me, Satan. You know, so he also really loved them, inspired them. You're going to do even greater things than these. And that's something that's important, right? Believing in the people that you disciple. That's huge. If, if, if people are just constantly getting corrected, rebuked, but you never are like, dude, you, you know, like, I think you can do incredible things for God. If you're never lifting them up, then they're never going to believe that. Jesus had an incredible job of doing all those things together where we drop the ball in different places. Study out Jesus and learn how he was a discipler, how he helped people, how he called people to discipleship. But in verse 12, I want to read this in John 15. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. See another one another scripture right here. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. you got to love people. In your heart, you can't be teaching people, discipling people out of annoyance. So you got to love people. Jesus loved the people he discipled. You know, some people ask, like, is discipling important? Well, did Jesus ever not have a discipling relationship with people? The three years that we see his life, he was always with people. Jesus had a small group. He always had a small group. If you want to follow Jesus, you should always be in a small group. 
Just, you should have a conviction of that. If you don't get that now, there are going to be times in your life where it's difficult. There may be times where it's not as convenient. You've got to fight for it. Jesus believed in small groups, and he didn't sin. And he had small groups. He did get open about his things when he was struggling. He got open about, pray for me, because my spirit is, you know, he, what's, what's he say? He says, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. He still got open, even though he, he literally was God in the flesh. He still had people in his life. What's amazing is, as, as strong as he was, what does he call them here? He says he's their friends. Are you the people, are, are the people that you're discipling, or the relationships that you have, are they your friends? Like, do you really love them? Would you lay down your life for them? That's what a friend does. He says, what, what's he say here? He says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus set an example of what discipling should look like. Discipling is where you'd lay down your life for people. Where you care so much about their spirituality, that you'd die for them. That's what Jesus did. He died on the cross because he was worried about his friend's sin, the world's sin. And that's what we need to do. It's, an, it's important, it's essential that we develop that type of love for one another. You know, Jesus also, he says, I told you everything I knew. That's what discipling is. It's like anything you have, any convictions that you have, you share them. You walk with them. You know, I thought about this. I was thinking about this as I was looking at this class. So often our discipling can become a once a week thing. Is that how Jesus discipled people? What did Jesus do with people? With his 12? Did he meet with them once a week? No, they walked together, they ate together, they suffered together, they rebuked each other. Peter even rebuked Jesus, although that didn't go super well. They inspired each other, they argued together, they got in fights. Sometimes you're going to get in fights, you got to get resolved to be humble. They struggled together, they prayed together, they deserted Jesus together, but then they came back together, they preached together, they dreamed together, they died together. They did things together. A real discipling relationship is not an appointment. It's just they're a part of your life. Do you walk with the people that you're involved with, that you really go and struggle with them? Do you desire to walk with the people and that, that are discipling you, that, that you, you've decided, I want to learn from them? That's what real discipling is. It's not just a once-in-a-time thing. It's your living life together. You're living life together, and as struggles come, as temptations come, you share them. As you, you know, you you help you help each other when you don't want to go out sharing your faith. All right, dude, let's go do this. We can do this together. But it's something that you're just living life together. That ideally is what discipling should be. It should just it should be the way Jesus did it, which was uh, to just he, Jesus just had friends that he did everything with, that he shared everything with. And he taught everything with. And that their goal at the end of it was that they would go and bear fruit. Discipling at the end of the day, it's not just to live a great Christian life. Jesus invested in discipling so that they could then go and take what they've been given to, to what? Bear fruit that will last. To bear fruit and give to others. And at the end of the day, that's got to be a part of our discipling relationships is we're trying to grow, be the better people that we can be so that we can go and help other people. Amen, guys? That's all I got for you. Discipling, I hope that was helpful. I think it's lunch now. <laughs>